you gotta do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl! Are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. It's high noon. It's time for the AltaCast here on mutinyradio.fm Latoya the Sheriff of Truth will be here shortly she let me know that the rain has ruined everyone's lives in San Francisco to give you guys a time stamp it is February 13th 2019 the future is now the apocalypse is upon us the sky is falling. Well, it's just water falling from the sky, but you'd, you'd think that the world was melting. Us, all our San Francisco snowflakes are melting. We're melting. Because it's, it's wet. And that remember the... Okay. Like I said, LaToya will be here uh, to fill us in on what's been happening. I don't pay attention to the news. It just is too upsetting the state of the union i was like why are all the ladies wearing white i wanted them all to like synchronize their moon cycle so that they could all just bleed on the entire proceeding all the ladies in white solidarity ladies wearing white oh yes latoya the sheriff of truth is here she is also solidarity i like your new white hair yeah the white i was just talking about the state of the union with the ladies all wearing white and when i was hoping that they'd all have their period at the same time like that they could have you know if if the women of of congress could you know sync sync up right i mean it's I, i hope it does i mean there's only like 12 of them or some ridiculously small number um Oh, yeah. So I was just telling the audience that uh, all the little San Francisco snowflakes are melting in the rain. Can't handle it. Can't <laughs> handle it. They I'm fine. They can't do anything. It's like the whole world fell over. And I can't make it to work because it's raining. Um, Hello. In other parts of the world, like it snows, inclement weather happens, and we're just not Polar used to vortex, it again. Maybe? Wait, where? Polar, vo- polar vortex. What polar vortex, yes, the polar vortex. So I guess other people are like in the snow yeah. and the things are really bad and we're like, oh, it's raining. It's just so cold. <laughs> Soft. That's right. Soft little babies here in San Francisco. Make me want to go to sleep. Right? I mean, it was so dark today when I woke up. Um, I knew I made such mistakes last night. I 
I got off work relatively early and I thought I, I should, I'd only had three beers my entire shift and I was like, I should just go home. And then I was like, no, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to, I thought my other bartender friend, I thought drummer comedian Aaron Barrett was at Doc's Clock and he wasn't. So then I ended up having two PBRs there. Uh, it just, I just didn't, I finally left. I left with last call. I'm like, I'm like, it is not last call. Okay. Yes. It's like two in the morning. And then I, there was no, this always happens to me. There was no 14 bus and or the bus said 28 minutes for the next 14. And I'm like, fuck my life. But so I, I, I walked slash ran home because I've been so inspired by that new Netflix show from Australia with the fat people getting thin. I literally cried yesterday, like all day long. I sat there eating macadamia nuts, wasabi macadamia nuts. They're really good. And I'm sitting there eating my macadamia nuts, watching these fat people get thin right in front of my very eyes. And I'm crying. I'm bawling. I'm, I'm absolutely just like, and I don't know if that's because I was making pot butter and I was really, really high. Or if I just really love, it's like The Biggest Loser, but it happens all in one episode. It's so great. It's so great. And then the guy comes, the cute guy, the cute workout guy, Cam, the cute fitness trainer. He's like, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to be with you for a week and I'm going to change you. And he does. It's miraculous. And and they, they put a lot of focus on like, well, it's not about the fatness. It's about the fitness. And um, about, you know, you're over 40 and you're going to die because you're 51% body fat. Shit like that. They put them on this scanner and they're like, beep, 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 beep. And they tell them what parts of their body are fat deposits and how much percentage wise is fat and one of the women was 51 percent and i was like what i say what but like then they work out they work out so hard and it's like i i I love uh, people are like literally making their goals they're like they're like setting things up and then following through i just i feel like i need some of that in my life like watching other people actually do things and and not like but like you do do but like the discipline that it takes the daily like it's it's discipline it's it's I, I just that's the thing I don't know and I respect that that's why I like ballerinas I like things where you can tell it's the time that people have put in that makes it work like it's okay I, I like meritocracies I like it when when you do something and it has merit and then it's valued I, I like that I like when you do something every day over time and then you see results and there really isn't any of that in the world in so many ways like man, some people at their job, I don't know when you get that when the when the hard work is literally paid off that that's I don't know. I like that shit. And I feel like working out and losing, um, then they're, they're in kilograms. So then I have to sit there doing fucking math. Right. And I'm, it's 2.2 pounds is a kilogram. So they're like, Oh, she's, and then the English are even weirder. They do stone. Oh, she's 19 stone. I'm like, what the fuck? 19 stone. Well, anyways, so I love to be stoned, but I've been watching. That's what I did. That's what I did yesterday as I watched people accomplish their goals. And it, I, cry, I was crying so much. I'm like, look period? at that. No, no, <laughs> no. Just, I don't know. I got a thing. I got a thing for like watching fat people get thin. I love it. <laughs> I love it. 
I'm sorry. That may, I'm a sizist, and and people that and it's funny because when they're they're talking, the, the people that they like interview themselves and they do cami stuff or whatever, and and they they tell you, I don't know how this happened. You know, like every year you gain a couple pounds and you go, oh yeah, and then suddenly you're. 55 years old and you're 51% body fat. Like, how did it, how did it happen? And, and, and well, that's the thing. They show their, their diet and their lifestyle and like what's happening. And so, and you understand, but I don't know. I just really enjoy watching people ch- change their lives in like a meaningful way. And it's it literally a meaningful way. Like they were, and you see results. Anyways, I love it. I love it. They change their hamburgers into salads. Yes, they. that's what they do. And they don't eat things like this fucking rice cream, this one guy. And it's weird, too, because they're Australian, so they're eating weird shit anyways, right? Because they're Australian. So, uh... Oh, it's underneath the purse. Uh, all right. Okay, so we're here on the Altcast, and it's MutinyRadio.fm, and the toy is in the house. So what uh, happened this week? Blackface. Oh my god. More blackface. Are you talking about like the the charcoal mask on the on the white girl from what I, Gucci? Was it Gucci? Yeah, no, it was that sweater with the lips. Everyone has seen <gasps> it. It was from Gucci now. Okay, so I don't think this is a conspiracy theory. So last year we had H&M do the coolest monkey in the jungle right, shirt, right, right. which I still haven't shopped at H&M. Yeah, I won't, and then there was the Prada thing last month about the little uh, monkey keychain with the black face. No. And then, yeah, I think we talked about that. We, I, we did. I'm just saying, I'm so just, many, I'm, so much you're, black you're face. bringing it back up that I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm seriously like, um, I'm, I'm fucklempt. I don't even understand how. We're letting blatant racism be in, uh, blatant racism is just in the mainstream media and, and in our fashion and in, so, so what did Gucci, Gucci okay, did? So basically Gucci came out with this $900 fucking ugly ass sweater. Everyone has seen it. And so basically it has, it's a turtleneck sweater. And then when you put the turtleneck up, it has the back black, uh, the red lips and the black if you like just like the just like like in um sambo right yeah and so gucci yeah this is gucci yeah so now i'm thinking this is not a mistake anymore well but this is gucci's italian right well they're owned by a french company so were the french racist or are they just like americans are racist now no no europeans are racist as fuck don't get it twisted but the fact of the matter is just i can't believe this, this i can I thought you were crazy. talking about the new. I thought you were talking about the new face. There's a. They did an ad campaign, and it's a charcoal mask, and they had a little white girl wearing a charcoal mask that just looks like blackface. Oh god! But it's Why a. Is, it's a char. It's, it's a charcoal one. mask. It like sucks all the impurities out of your skin or something. But the, the ad is of her face and her little white face with you know her, her brown ponytail in the back, and then she's in blackface. Oh man, yeah. That's- Dude, but I think that was accidental. I feel like the monkey in the jungle was accidental too. I think the coolest monkey in the jungle. I I don't know if they. I, I, I don't know what they purposely put it on an African American child. Well, he wasn't African American. He was a black a black European. He was a black European. Yeah. But there was a, so there's a black. Stop calling everyone black African American. I, I know oh, it's we gotta, terrible. We got to stop doing that's that. That's true. That's true. I that's true. The people. Well, but but black the, black's okay that we're allowed to call. Yeah. Them, that's yeah. Because you got black Europeans. You got you know black Americans. You got black Latinos, um, but 
the thing, the coolest monkey in the jungle, no, that wasn't an accident. The problem is when you have people that that look like us that sit at the table, they can tell you, well, this is not a good idea. Right. So, so that's there should have been a stopgap. I see what you're saying yeah. is that when so, when the when they're sitting around a table and they're like, shall we do this? If there's anyone a person of color, they would stand up and say. Hey, probably not a great idea. This is going to get backlash, and the same with right. Prada, and now the same with Gucci. And here's the so here's, where are the black people? Why are the black people not in the boardrooms? Is that the question? That's the question. And then on top of that, Gucci is a larger conglomerate. Oh, so it went Gucci through. Picture. Yeah, it. That means hundreds shit. of people go and look at this before they approve it. Yeah, so course. you mean to tell me that there is not even some kind of person of color or just a, any black person that said, "Hey, this sweater is a bad it, idea." It came up right. It came up right away. I put in Gucci racist and it said Gucci racist sweater. Gucci racist is the owner of Gucci, Gucci racist. <laughs> and then, and then another issue is that so. Okay. Oh my God. Yes, and it's ugly. This is and here. Here's something to take the racism out of it. It's an ugly design point blank period if it didn't have the lips. Wow. But what are you, it's it's but the thing is it's 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 what it's are racist. They trying to say? You know what they're trying to say. And this is a by this point this is not by accident. There's been so many times that this has happened within the past 6 months that it's like okay you know what? They're doing this for publicity by this point. Well, they and must using, be. And then using us as a tool and as a laughing stock. And then see here, the other issue is the fact that a lot of artists, especially black artists, like hip hop artists, do wear Gucci. I mean, you have a you have a rapper named Gucci Mane. That's right. You That's know. True. And so now. So was now, there a Prada racist sweater too? I put in no Prada. That Prada was the uh, there was a whole oh keychain. It, it came purse. yes, a keychain purse. Here it is. Yeah, that's the oh my god. Yeah, so we're you know the thing is, <laughs> I these artists. What is happening in the world? So here's what I here's what I'm thinking. Gucci's trying to make a statement. It's just like the Tommy Hilfiger thing from back in the '90s, which I remember. Tommy Hilfiger did not like a lot of his hip hop, the hip hop artists at the time, wearing his stuff because it was aimed toward the preppier, white, rich demographic. But then a lot of hip hop artists like Snoop and what have you at the time were wearing Tommy Hilfiger, and so he, and he didn't out, like it. Yeah, he didn't like it. So there's a lot of black lash, but you know, black lash. Black lash. <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of reminds me of the same thing again. What Gucci is making their statement is like, we want our stuff to set a present to a different demographic rather than you Negroes. And so we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna come out with this sweater, nine hundred dollar sweater, nine hundred dollar sweater to right. insult you, sure. test you guys and see if you're a coon or not. To would somebody, where, what would Beyonce wore it? She'd never. I mean, she well, never do Beyonce it, has actually. I totally missed this story. Beyonce, I think it's a couple of years ago, wore a Sambo jacket. You can look that up too. Which I didn't know about. I'm like, shame on this bitch too. I mean, the thing is, it's just like. These caricatures are meant to offend black people as not taken seriously. Like our lives do not matter, hence sure. the Black Lives Matter. Sure. And then now the thing is, 
in our culture, we do like a lot of luxury brands. I don't know why, but it's a status. I, it's yeah, a it's status symbols. It's about I can status. break it down. Yeah. Is that it, it's status symbols. It's a status. My ex-husband was African-American, and he, he was really big into status symbols. I've told this story about the Louis Vuitton backpack. Yeah. He, he hated my backpack because... It, he was, it wasn't classy enough and it didn't show that we had money. Right. And and that's that's, that's what, a thing. Yeah. But but it comes when you come from a place of of not having and now you have, of course you pick the, the symbols of the culture that you always, that you've been subjugated from and that changed. I mean, right. the 50s, the 50s weren't that long ago. Like racism is... We we didn't let black people vote. We wouldn't. They weren't no. people. We I mean, didn't. They were. We could own them like two hundred years ago. So, fucking what? And then last <laughs> week we just had the blackface with the governor in Virginia, Northam, and then uh, well, actually we don't know if he was the blackface or the Klansman. And then in the same state you have the attorney general who had a blackface and he wanted to be like Curtis Blow. So, I mean, th- I, I don't get what this minstrel show comeback is the about. minstrel show. Yeah. The and then speaking, show. going back to the Gucci thing. So, rapper T.I. came out with this thing about, like, boycotting Gucci. But here's the problem. He was just talking about boycotting them for three months. What the fuck is three months going to do? Huh? Teach that's them not a lesson. Yeah, that's I'm not, not going to wear your... Although, if all... If the rappers or whoever... If the people in the media didn't wear Gucci for three months, it would have a great effect. It would have a great because effect on the, them. Because the thing is, that's that's how they that's how they make it cooler, is the only people that can afford to wear it are the people they give it to, which are the stars, and they take yeah. the picture. And then and then us regular folk work and hard we we, and work anyway. and slave and, and, and get it on credit because, oh, that's somehow going to help because I'm going to be like that. It's like they yeah. didn't pay for it in the first place. It's one of the weird things about people with money is people give them shit. Like if you're... If you're an influencer, yeah, it's they I just mean, give you shit. You think, anyway. but I was listening to some of these rappers like Ti again mentioned like he spent like I think he said almost like a million dollars on Gucci stuff last year. I'm like, why are you spending that much money? Say, buy some more property. You know, don't don't break the bank for some materialistic shit. I can be one. I you know what? I'm one of those people that you know. I, I needed a Gucci wallet or some some kind of symbolism symbolism of like status, and you know what? I grew out of that shit too. I I did, and I'm kind of glad I lost my Gucci wallet now, <laughs> but I got that shit for half price too. Um, but it's yeah, that I know. I, well, here's I remember it. Gucci has the red and green stripe. Yeah, and that's like it's funny they brand themselves it's like louis vuitton is brown with the l and the v V, and we why do we decide that these symbols have value and and how do we ascribe value to these symbols it's so weird to me like how we this is a like a larger philosophical comp like idea about all people and what's wrong with us that we ascribe what we ascribe value to right like I, what the fuck? I, it doesn't. What is it? It holds your money. It's a wallet. It, like the the what it is. It, it's a layer higher. It's not just it is what it is. It's it is what it is, and it's more because it somehow <laughs> embodies this sim, symbolism of some that we ascribe value to. I just it, the thing is like, what's embarrassing is the fact that my people, some of we see that we don't have no leaders. 
we don't have i mean we should lead by ourselves but we're too busy leading off celebrity and status and what we don't have and clout and all that bullshit but when we get made fun of a mock you know we're being mocked every single day i mean it's it's never went away but the fact that people are doing it blatantly in your face it's humiliating and again what is a three-month boycott going to do i mean it's and here's another thing most people can't afford gucci anyway and if you do buy gucci it's going to hurt your wallet for a while i mean absolutely i mean unless you just have stupid money to throw around yeah but who does who who there's so many the thing is like you know we i don't think there was a there's a show called trigger warning uh that's on netflix with uh uh, killer mike and what the first episode is talking about uh buying black oh and so so here's something i did not know in the black community the dollar only circulates for six hours um and the i believe in the jewish community when they buy jewish you know by their own i think it lasts like either like six or ten days in the asian community it uh circulates about 20 days because they well and I, I watch the same thing for me my money comes from the bar and then goes to the bar so it's a really just it's just a cyclist call it's like i work there i make the food then i get the money then i get the tips i i buy more alcohol it just it's just a circular thing so just imagine it's like, sta- it all stays in san francisco it's not going anywhere else the, i guess the beer no racer five but, isn't from san francisco but the problem is that our black daughter is not going to anyone in our community right and, and this is where are the black owned businesses there's exactly and then this go this correlates to the fact of like having more black designers and especially in the 90s ah. i do i do recall designers and i used to have my pair of cross colors and that was a black own and and i it was it was so liberated at the time like cross colors love, love sees no color blah 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 and then after that you had carl Kanai, and then after that you had fat farm and i then remember after fat that farm. yeah fubu and fubu, then yeah, yeah fubu. you had all these designers yeah. and then they suddenly went away and then and then also too at the time you had hip-hop uh people that were wearing this shit too right so it was you know along with the tommy hill figure and uh, but now you don't see too many black celebrities or I, i'm just gonna mainly talk about hip-hop now that wear black designers anymore sure, sure. they more it's about the louis vuitton it's about the gucci but you're 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 idolizing some white european culture that don't want anything to do with you <laughs> obviously prada don't looks at you as a monkey right. gucci looks at you as a buffoon and and h&m you're just the coolest monkey in the jungle Ooh, it's ah, ah. And it, it that and it's in your face. Yeah, it, it, right, and that's fa- well. That's what's happening right now is that all the, it's all coming to the forefront. Suddenly, we're realizing. I think that people are thinking like, we thought that racism was over. Like we were like, look, I we have a black president. Racism's over. Look, it's done. We did it. I was not one of those people that thought right. that. But for <laughs> there are a lot of white people. We Delusional. were like, yeah. we were like, all right, everything's equal now. Mm-hmm. Everything's cool. And then now, uh, we we realized that no. It, it is wow racism is real and huge and pervasive and everywhere 
which means pervasive. This is, um, I pulled up an image from, I just recently reread Laura Ingalls Wilder's A Little Town on the Prairie, a, a great book. Uh, but I got to the end when the minstrel show comes oh. to town. And this is a picture that's in the book. Uh, there's, there's four guys in blackface. And the crazy thing is, one of them is Pa. Like, Pa, they all, they have this thing, they do this, mu- they do this new thing where everybody meets once a week and they do this music thing. And, and this is from Laura Ingalls Wilder. Like, it's, it, but they're white guy. They were the, all the guys from the town. Like, this was what, That's the they, this show. was like, it was like the big fun thing. Everybody went out. They were like, and they're like, who are they? Like, which one is Pa? I didn't see any with beards, but, and they, you know, danced and sang and he played the fiddle and they, but why, like, why the need to punch down? Because that's what white people do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm keeping it real. You guys, this is part of your culture of making fun of us. And the minstrel show was created by white people. And to, to basically characterize and make us inhumane. Right, right, right. And, right, right. and this is... Yeah. Well, it, yeah. And the thing is, it's just like... You know, going back to like the governor in uh, Virginia, people, I, I'm not accepting his apology. I don't think they said the like the over uh, majority of African American people do forgive him or what have you. I don't forgive. <laughs> I'm tired of being nice and forgiving for something that in 2019, you know, that's sh- inappropriate. It's 2019, people. And it's fucking 2019. And then, and that's, then that's nutballs that it's going to be 2020. And, and like, the fact that he took these pictures, in the future. he took these pictures back in 1984. 1984 was not that long ago. No, it certainly wasn't. It wasn't that long ago. So even in 1984, when you're 25 years old, you should know not to dress up in a blackface or clans outfit. Yeah, I, absolutely. I don't. Yeah. Well, when? What about when? Uh, Ted Danson was dating Whoopi Goldberg. That was bad he... too. She still gets heat for that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I'll still give her heat for that. So the picture um, where I found it online, it says historical racism in children's books. What do we do? And it's that same idea with like when you're reading um, Huck Finn aloud in class. <laughs> do do you do? I I say as a teacher, let's just not do. Let's not read those. But then, but then it's like should. But then maybe it's like you know what that's don't, it's don't why why even teach that book it's not the best uh, Mark Twain book but then it's like well shouldn't we because it does bring up read the book read the book I think bring bring Mark, since Mark Twain was such a great writer read the book talk about what Huck Huck Finn and Uncle Tom's cabin yeah yeah though Uncle Tom actually became a hero at the end of the book a lot of people forget that part. Um, but Huck Finn, yeah, it was some lot of niggers in yeah, that. Yeah, they called his name was Nigger Jim. Jim yeah. That, see, I can't even. I see, I can't even. But I'm quoting. I'm quoting historically. That's the one time she'll be I'm able to say quoting. <laughs> I also I have this thing. It's like I think I don't. I have a. I guess when people own the word in whatever way they own it, and I. But I still have a problem with quoting. Rap songs and I, I mean, I just keep that problem. I, white people I, 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 keep, keep that problem. Do not say the N word unless you're alone in a dark basement. And if you're singing along to your favorite rap song in a dark basement, not in public, but on the bus, 
the kids say, well, and I've seen, I've seen Filipino kids say, uh, I think I'm people, like, what? Yeah. Here's the thing. You know, I, I was, <laughs> I was supportive for certain Latino people saying it, but now when it, when that's the word that comes out of your vocabulary, vocabulary as every other word, I got an issue with it. You can use other words besides our word to to talk about your compadre you know i I hate the fact that every other yeah i hate the fact that every now people are taking advantage of the fact of like okay so my latin brothers and sisters you know okay who do come from that uh, latin countries who do have black ancestry will give you a little bit of that but don't use it as every other word in your vocabulary like if you're making a description of something and i'm going to say the same to black people too like i used to hate using the word and then i took the word back and i started using it and then but the thing is that word is not everything it's not in my vocabulary constantly when i'm describing a person that's not the word i always use to describe a person yeah i may say it but i come on it doesn't have i don't have to have it on speed round I don't have to have that word on speed round. This is I put in I put in racist America. There's actually a book called Racist America. Sounds about white. <laughs> I mean, sounds about white <laughs> roots, current realities, and future reparations. The third edition of Joe R. Fagan's Racist America is significantly revised and updated, with an eye toward racism issues arising regularly in our contemporary era. This edition incorporates more than 200 recent research studies and reports on U.S. racial issues that update and enhance the last edition's chapters. It expands the discussion uh, and data on concepts such as the white racial frame and systematic racism from research studies by Fagan and colleagues. Uh, Hey, I'm like, so at least someone's studying it. It's, I mean... Oh, it's being studied. It's been studied. I just... I'm so aghast and but then maybe maybe I'm just being naive and mm-hmm. maybe that's why I'm like oh why why can't we all just get along I, I, maybe it's my naivete but it seems worse than ever it seems and I don't it's know if that's worse. because it's, I'm an adult now and I see it more clearly or um, I think it's maybe because you come into contact with people of color more in contrast to like you know your husband's a special case (laughs) (laughs) ex-husband excuse me excuse me yeah he's a very special case um but now that people have cameras you see it um you see the barbecue beckys you see the 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 brutality that we've been telling y'all uh for decades um it's on tv you see the black face uh you see it's all the images of everything now you see it because for a long time people didn't believe us you know just like the that's, selma that's really frustrating just to be like, like look at this problem look at this problem and we're like there's no problem i'll give you an example <laughs> the selma march in 1965 it wasn't until the cameras were there and they saw what those police did. The hoses to and the, the dogs. Yes, and the brutality. It took that. Because that shit has been going on for decades. And the burning and lynchings of our communities and people and the rapes. It took live TV in 1965 for certain people of a demographic to be like, oh my gosh, they were right. 
And so that is what got the 1965 Civil Rights Bill, which, by the way, that Civil Rights Bill was just is not just for uh, black Americans that includes Latinos and Asians that helped with a lot of immigration and women too so don't get it twisted white ladies we helped you you're welcome the, um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, 1965 is a landmark piece of federal legislation in the United States that prohibits racial discrimination in voting it was signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson during the height of the civil rights movement on August 6 1965 and Congress later amended the act five times to expand its protections. Yeah, it's so funny because it's over it's over voting too, and mm-hmm. nobody votes anymore anyway. Yeah, it's like remember when voting was important? How did they how did they confuse us or teach us that voting isn't important? Like what? I don't. Well, how did they do that? Well, no, I no, I think. After the uh, the Voting Rights Act got repealed in 2013, that's why we have a lot of issues with voting and gerrymandering. That's an issue. I think the fact of the matter, speaking of today with uh, presidential candidates, we don't have really any candidates, especially in the black community, that want to talk about a black agenda. Um, you do have candidates that are talking about an LPTGQ agenda, which is fine. And then you have people talking about an immigration agenda, which is fine. But when it comes to black people getting hurt in their agenda, or even the word reparations, it, it's, it's swept under the rug. I'm just so tired of us being disrespected into a country that we built for free. Right, yeah. And we can't even get the word reparations out of someone's mouth or agenda you know and i think the fact of the matter is like a lot of black people are really tired of the pandering until we get something known as a black agenda and i you know like i said i worked for barack obama's campaign in 08 i voted for him twice but also too we black people have woken up from the fact like okay we know he we get it he was a black president but he also didn't help the community as much as he should which he should have done in a second term i can understand why in his first term but in the second term, I think he could have done a lot more for the black agenda. Um, the attorney general, though, uh, Eric Holder, did help decriminalize marijuana, I believe. And um, insert some I I'm paraphrasing. I have to look it up. But there needed to be more. And now that we have 45 in office, it's mm. every all everything's just thrown out the windows. Oh, I know. We're just imprisoning brown people. Brown, uh, yeah, the, and the expansions on the ice and all that crazy stuff. And now you have two. We're a ne- country built of immigrants. We're a country built of immigrants, but we are a country now that is weak. We got two black potential president uh, presidential candidates on the campaign trail who are pandering i don't like none of them <laughs> kamala harris and cory brooker i i rather give elizabeth warren my vote wow. and she and the reason why i'm gonna say that because at least she's talking about the middle class you're not giving me anything she, yes elizabeth warren's not giving me a black agenda but I, I just it's I it's sad they're they're trying to do the same okie doke this is very funny Kabbalah Harris was accused of lying about listening to Tupac and Snoop Dogg yeah that's <laughs> for some reason that's well, a story it's because because they're trying to say that she isn't really black they're, they're I, when we look at no. a story like that they're trying to say that she's trying to pander to the black community by saying that I listen to hip-hop or rap trying to identify with them and 
trying to say I'm not this politician. Hey, all politicians, doesn't matter what color you are, you're still crooked you're as fuck. You're pandering. <laughs> and then the, the fact what the story came out because she, I believe she graduated like either Howard or high school in 1986. Tupac's first album didn't drop until 1991. So she had been long gone out of school in 1991. See, that's pandering. Well, speaking about her support for federally legalizing marijuana on yes. Monday, Senator okay. Kamala Harris mentioned that she previously smoked weed. Mm-hmm. The California lawmaker was asked about her stance on marijuana during an appearance on the radio show The Breakfast Club. She was also asked about her taste in music. What do you listen to? DJ Envy asks. What does Kamala Harris listen to? Charlemagne the God. I like that Cardi B. Uh, Charlemagne the God chimes in. His words overlapping with the initial questions. What were you listening to when you was high? What was on? What song was it? Was it Snoop? Another host asks. Oh, yeah, definitely Snoop, Harris responds. Tupac, for sure. Come on, man. Twitter quickly, Twitter users quickly pointed out what appeared to be an inconsistency in Harris's story. The legislator had said that she was listening to Tupac Shakur and Snoop Dogg. Harris graduated from Howard University in 1986, according to the school's <laughs> magazine. Shakur's first album, Tupacalypse Now, was released in 1991, and Snoop Dogg's first album, Doggy Style, was released in 1993. Yeah. Ian Sams, the national press secretary for Harris's campaign, told Newsweek that she was talking about music she listens to. Oh, so yeah, this is just totally out of context. Yeah, it's out of context. It's overlapping people. But she was trying to answer the question, and she was like, what does she like? She likes Tupac, and she likes Snoop Dogg. But they were like, you're lying, because you said you were listening to it when you are high. It she might have even not been interacting with that question. It's a radio show. Yeah, and that's the thing. That that's why this is not a controversy. Talk about her record of when she was anti-marijuana and the truancy of locking black mothers up at when she was attorney general uh in the state. I mean, there's so much I don't like her, but especially I don't like Cory Booker now. So he was in Idaho where there is no black people. Uh, pandering and tap dancing. Oh yeah, I got a shucking job for these folks. Um, he made up a, a couple. Uh, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing again. So he, he was talking about the blackface thing, and he was making a statement of like, "Well, some of my white friends who I knew were asking me about this blackface thing, and like they didn't understand it." Okay, stop you right there. What white person were you hanging out with that did not, and especially, I think he's in his late 40s, who did not understand what blackface was? Okay, moving on to the uh, what else he said, which is even more, um, more insulting. He stated, well, maybe people of color or black people should probably put themselves in white people's shoes of like trying to understand. Wow. All right. You're cut off. I can't. When you when you say we need to be put put ourselves in white people's shoes so they can understand have how they feel. Fuck you. How about getting followed or getting how about uh, that white people? How about how about that happens to us once in a while? Like the what what if the police aren't 
nice to me. Policemen have always been exceedingly nice to me. I am also white. Getting pulled over and or uh, yeah, being crying. harassed. I, I've never been harassed. I, I, one time I got pulled over because uh, I was speeding and I really was speeding because I was trying to get to the Walgreens before it closed because I had to get my herpes medication because it was just starting and if you don't get the Valtrex like right away it doesn't matter <laughs> so I'm in the car I'm speeding and uh, the cop pulls me over and I'm like I start crying and I'm like I've just got to get my herpes medication <laughs> my face <laughs> and he let me go he let me go he didn't even give me a ticket he was like he was like you're fucking hilarious and uh, get the fuck out of here <laughs> So uh, that's a real story. It was what on Claremont Mesa Boulevard. <laughs> Please don't fuck with me. But I, I, I wish it, that's what they should. There should be like a boot camp. There should be like a white people, white black people boot camp. Kids. But so that we can feel what it's like to be harassed for no reason because of the color of your skin. I mean, it's cr- uh, in the 26th presidential election, Senator Ted Cruz didn't declare until March 2015. Hillary Clinton released a YouTube video announcing her candidacy in April. Donald Trump didn't take that famous ride down the escalator until June. But America now lives squarely in the era of the endless campaign. The 2020 race is already here. Before 2018 was even over, Senator Elizabeth Warren announced that she had formed an official exploratory committee and was headed to Iowa to campaign before January was over nine Democrats had officially entered the race and more are likely to follow. It's already on the calendar, at least a dozen presidential debates that are already on the calendar. Here's the cheat sheet to for, from the beginning. First, the women. Women have been in the early entrance into the race. That kind of timing allows any candidate to snap up the best staff and start fundraising. At the beginning of 2018, more than half of the field announced candidates were women from the Senate, some fueled by activism around hashtag me too, others by high profile rules on the Senate Judiciary Committee. While some say this is a play to be the VP on the eventual ticket, these women are rightly focused on landing the top job. Senator Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. a Democrat, California, is a daughter of immigrants. Her mom is from India and her dad is from Jamaica. Her parents met as student activists and Harris, 54, has credited them with shaping the woman she is today. She used the term being a first. Harris is the first Indian American woman in the Senate and currently the only black woman in the upper chamber and has shown her tough questioning skills while taking on Brett Kavanaugh, as well as Jeff Sessions during this confirmation hearings for the U.S. Attorney General. Harris has officially announced her candidacy for president during a Good Morning America on January 21st, a symbolic date given that it coincided with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I love my country, and this is a moment in time I feel a sense of responsibility to stand up and fight for the best of who we are, she told show's hosts. Her experience as a prosecutor and attorney general in California inspired her campaign slogan, Kamala Harris for the people. But there has been some criticism that her... Uh, Her record is not as progressive as she's presented it to be. After her announcement, her campaign took in more than a million dollars in donations, and many have said she's already a (laughs) front-runner. Senator Kirsten... Gillibrand. Yeah, Gillibrand. Gillibrand. Uh, I don't know if she's a Kirsten or Kirsten or... It's Kirsten. It's Kirsten. Yeah, Yeah. you got it. It's a a white lady problem. I just... (laughs) I don't... No one calls my name right, you know? My name is Kirsten. (laughs) Not Kirsten or Kristen. Kirsten. That's a very big white problem. Kirsten. (laughs) Democrat New York announced that she would be filing an exploratory committee for the President of the United States on January 15th and did an appearance on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. 
I'm going to run for president of the United States because as a young mom, I'm going to fight for other people's kids as hard as I would fight for my own, which is why I believe that health care should be a right and not a privilege. She said on the show, good stuff. She's pretty. Um, but okay, here's a problem with her now. So Kirsten Gillibrand, she uh, when she uh, was a uh, she was in a congresswoman, I believe, in upstate New York. She was one of those conservative Democrats that was not for Medicare, uh, anti-LGBTQ. Ooh. She flipped the script completely. She's also a panderer. She has tried to position herself as a populist, Uh-oh, but she go. knows the ins and outs of Washington. Her grandmother founded the Albany Democratic Women's Club, and her father was a lobbyist. Gillibrand, 52, was fairly new to the House. You're not a young mom. You're 50 fucking two. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? 52 is the new 42, which is the new 32. So really, I'm young mom. 22 is a young mom. A weirdo. <laughs> I'm a young mom. I'm 52. I could afford artificial insemination because I was too old to have a baby without autism. <laughs> Gillibrand, 52, was fairly new to the House when appointed to fill Hillary Clinton's Senate seat in 2009 and has handily won re-election ever since. She has served on the Arms Service Committee and has been notably out front addressing sexual assault in the military. Gillibrand has made it a point of promoting women's empowerment in public life and in her children's book, Celebrating the Leaders of the Suffrage Movement. She's framing herself as a passionate progressive, but if she makes it to the she makes it to the general may pivot back to more moderate positions. As a congresswoman, she once said she kept a couple of rifles under her bed at home for defense. Mm-hmm. Senator Elizabeth Warren. I actually like her. Democrat Massachusetts is one of the most liberal and aggressive critics of the Trump White House. Known for taking on big banks, Warren 69 became President Obama's appointee to oversee the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which Trump has dismantled and has an avowed power to the people tone to her work. She's also gone after sexism in political campaigns with a January 2nd fundraising email scoffing at likability issues for female candidates and tired beard stroking opinion pieces. But Trump delights in taunting Warren and likely won't be quick to stop throwing around his Pocahontas nickname for her that his arena rally fans have grown to love. Shit gets old, yeah. But Pocahontas was a badass. Yeah. America, hey, you know what? Without Squanto, whose name was Tusquantum, but we couldn't fucking figure out how to pronounce his fucking name either. Now, could we? Everyone would have died. He spoke English. He spoke like four languages, but he spoke English so that the settlers didn't have to speak Native American. And there was like 400 dialects There's of different, different languages. Different languages. And he not only spoke the language of the Native people, he spoke Spanish, he spoke French, and he spoke English. And the settlers, they would have died. There would have been no America. Squanto should have just let them die. To Squantum. <laughs> His real name was to Squantum, not Squantum. Same thing with Pocahontas. Like, and she married John Smith. Well, they yeah. sold her into the slavery or something. She was, but yeah, I just, why, why do we, why do we hate on the people that were here first? We're like, we white Americans, it didn't exist before we got here. You hate on the fact that matters, for some reason, white people in this country hate on the, the original people. I hate on the original And then people. they really hate and despise the people that actually built it. Right. 
And then now they're, we're having a throwback of like, get those Mexicans, those brown people out, those immigrants. The ones but, who are keeping California afloat. You think we'd have any produce? Which, who is? Who are the farmers? Oh, by the way, and you mentioned California, who's the California used to belong to. Right. <laughs> I mean, we hate the Mexicans. This was Mexico. Yeah. Is that what we, we just take over and then we're like, Dole. mine, mine, mine. Yeah, that whole idea of a manifest destiny. And when I learned about it in high school, it wasn't like thinking about manifest destiny as a bad thing or a yeah, title thing. They made it sound they sexy. They made it sound great. Like destiny. everything we see from sea to shining sea is now ours. Whose was it? Whose was it? Yeah, it wasn't I did, ours. You're absolutely right and about that. The problem that one. is that. Oh, he, this, he keeps texting me and I'm like, I'm. he knows I'm live on the air. Is this, what's it's the kid it? who was here, yeah. couldn't find his phone, who interrupt, interrupted you. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know I'm live on air. Yeah, I, we can't stop, won't stop. We can't stop. stop, won't stop. It's the new, the kids, the millennial kids are so funny. I I, who taught them? Uh, I know. It's like, it'll be up at one o'clock. Chill the fuck out. Uh, Likeability as well. But Pocahontas, nickname for her arena rally fans, blah, 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 blah. Warren has also faced scrutiny for claiming Native American heritage. She apologized in February after the Washington Post obtained a registration card for the State Bar of Texas that shows her identified as American Indian. Warren might be the right populist for the movement, but some question whether Warren can be the kind of national leader who can broker meaningful Washington compromises. Warren... But look at our guy right now. He can't do bullshit. They're saying... Meaningful compromises. You know, the only reason why they're saying that is because she is trying to go after the big banks in Wall Street. And who is this? Yahoo? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're a big corporate machine. So she's going after corporations and why they're not paying people. Right. And all why these aren't bonus- they aren't paying taxes? Yeah, taxes and bonuses. So, yeah, that they had to say something stupid like that. Yeah. Warren officially announced her 2020 campaign on February 9th in a speech in Lawrence, Massachusetts. She firmly positioned herself as someone who will fight against corruption and spoke strongly against the current administration. Quote, it won't be enough just to undo the terrible acts of this administration. We can't afford to just tinker around the edges. A tax credit here, a regulation there. Our fight is for big structural change. God bless ya. Love her. I love her. I love that she just said that. Uh Uh-oh. Who's next? Representative Tulsi Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, this is Democrat, Hawaii's second Mm -hmm. district. At 37... Oh, she's my age? Damn. Yeah, she look old. Gabbard is the youngest lawmaker to jump into the race. The age requirement is 35. 35. In 2002, she was also the youngest person ever elected to the Hawaii legislature. She later stepped down ahead of two tours with the Army National Guard. Gabbard now serves in the House of Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees. Gabbard is in many ways the antithesis of the current POTUS. Young, female, progressive, experienced in war... And she happens to be the first Hindu to serve in Congress. Her break with the Democratic Party during the 2016 campaign over the Clinton-Sanders battle, she supported Sanders, God bless you, girl, could speak Uh, to a simmering dissatisfaction with the establishment among liberal primary voters, something expressed with their ballots in 2018. They're not telling the whole story about her. She's young. So yeah, tell us about Tulsi. Tulsi was hardcore anti-LBGTQ. What? Christian rights, like in the early 2000s. I can't believe that bitch is my age. She look old. Um, yeah, she, and then she also, uh, she works, uh, she, I believe she got money from different arms dealers and what have what? yous. Um, yeah, they're not telling her the her old, yeah. Uh, she was for conversion therapy. What? Yeah. So. Wow, wow. 
do you, wow. do you see do you, <laughs> look that shit up see this is why you gotta dig deeper thank you yahoo for not getting it you know they threw that shade at elizabeth warren but they're not telling the truth about tulsi she, gabbard she, she apologized tulsi gabbard apologizes for so that means LGBTQ she was anti- 18 19 when she felt this way i remember when i was 18 19 i didn't feel that Re- way representative tulsi gabbard apologized thursday for wrong and hurtful mm-hmm. statements she made years ago touting her work for an anti-gay group saying a series of posts to twitter that my views have changed significantly since then <laughs> i grew up knowing that every person is a child of god and equally loved by god i've always believed in the fundamental right and equality of all people gabbard wrote in a flurry of posts that was also accompanied by a video apology but I grew up in a socially conservative household where I was raised to believe that marriage should only be, be, be between a man and a woman. For a period of my life, I didn't see the contradiction in those beliefs. Gabbard, Democrat Hawaii, who announced a 2020 presidential bid last Friday, has come under fresh scrutiny in recent weeks after CNN published a story outlining her past remarks. During a 2002 run, that's not that long ago, Yeah, see, a 2002 run for the Hawaii state legislator, Democratic Congresswoman, touted her work with the Alliance for Traditional Marriage, an organization run by her father that advocated against pro-gay rights uh, lawmakers and in favor of amendment to the state's constitution banning same-sex marriage. Gabbard's father, Mike Gabbard, advocated against gay rights in Hawaii in the 1990s, telling Honolulu Magazine that homosexuality, not normal, not healthy, morally and scripturally wrong. Oof. Tulsi Gabbard said she supported her father's views at the time, and the New Yorker reported that she advocated against legislation in Hawaii to combat anti-gay bullying, saying it would be inviting homosexual advocacy organizations into our schools to promote their agenda to our vulnerable youth. 2002 was not that long ago. It was ago. not that long ago. And don't get me wrong, I do believe people change, but if if you're going to be a candidate, you can't, I'm sorry, if you have any racist... Yeah, but our president uh, was overtly racist and misogynistic and no one gave a but shit. But this is a Democratic Party. Well, oh, oh it doesn't matter, oh. though. We got Democrats wearing around in blackface. Oh, goodness. I'm, you just, nah. But while many Americans may relate to growing up in a conservative home, my story is a little different because my father was very outspoken. He was an activist who was fighting against gay rights and marriage equality in Hawaii. And... At that time, I forcefully defended him, she wrote on Twitter Thursday afternoon. But over the years, I formed my own opinions based on life experiences and changed my views at a personal level um, in having aloha, love for all people, and ensuring that every American, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, is treated equally under the law. Sounds like she still isn't. I don't trust. Pe- I'm sorry. I, I don't can't, trust. I can't. Either. I can't trust people. And the same is with a curse. Kirsten, uh, Gillibrand. She had some anti-gay. And when you, anytime you have anti-gay, that means you're kind of anti other things. And that. So these people have no black agenda. And if they don't have mm. any, and I'm not trying to put people of color's agenda up against LPGTQ because it's totally different but there's still issues there's still issues <laughs> people having problems I don't and, and we need to be supportive of all people because it says we the people in our motherfucking constitution and that's what it's supposed to be about yeah. is we all the people who come here and work hard and try to live and all that shit to be safe and feel but it's America, it's lovely to be an entitled yeah. American, but it needs to include more than just white America because we are all America. 
I ch- I've changed though. Changed. I've changed. Well, and you know, though, in high school, I was super Christian and I was against abortion. Are you running for president? No, though? I'm not. Okay. No one would vote for me. Yeah. I can't even. <laughs> you do? Are you running for city council? No, no one would vote for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, come, come see me do comedy at the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. But you were anti. Uh, you were I anti- was anti abortion when I was in high school. When you were a when minor? I was, when I was Christian. When you were a minor, right? Yeah, when I was okay. A kid. In 2002, she's 37. I was 21. Oh, uh, Oh, an adult. So an adult. Well, I was 16. So I, I, uh, was, I was anti, I was pro-life when I was 16. And I wasn't saying the word nigga in 2002, but look at me now. <laughs> oh, we're going we all changed. Senator Cory Booker, Democrat, New Jersey, uh, announced uh, his run on February Corey 1st, Coon. the first day of Black History Month. His launch video drew on the history of civil rights movement and described how after realtors refused to sell his parents a house in a district with good schools, a group of lawyers stepped up to help and protect black families in the region. The idea and expected theme of his campaign, America is better when we help each other. (laughs) He also emphasized his background as mayor of Newark before joining the Senate, where he championed bipartisan justice reform bill that passed just before Christmas. But his ties to Wall Street may be a little too close to comfort for some Democrats. Mm -hmm. All right. We mentioned Cory Coon Booker uh, earlier about what he said about Black people should put themselves in the shoes of white people of like understanding blackface. See, I under I know Negroes like this because I almost turned into one. Um, coming from the suburbs, predominantly all white subdivision. I luckily my school was mixed of it was middle class, um, and living basically in a white world, and he. He's one of those people. I don't think he's completely like coonish. I say he has some coon coonish ways, coon esque ways. Yeah, and I I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. He calls for honest conversations on blackface controversies. Now Pam's going to read Senator Cory Booker on Saturday called on others to extend grace to one another so we can start having honest conversations about issues including racism. Booker's comments were made during a campaign stop in Iowa when he addressed the blackface scandals surrounding Virginia Governor Ralph Northam and Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring. According to... Uh, according to Complex. Both Northam and Herring recently admitted to wearing blackface decades ago. Booker, who was running for president on Saturday, growing up in a homophobic environment. Oof, what? That was... The See, that's what... Yeah, that's what... Booker, who was running for president, on Saturday recalled growing up in a homophobic environment. We're talking about blackface, too. When he worked in college as a crisis manager, Booker said he asked a gay lesbian counselor stupid questions that he had about LGBTQ issues. He sat down with me one night and just gave me a safe space to ask him questions. What grace he extended to me to ask stupid questions about LGBTQ issues. But because of that honest conversation, I saw my ignorances and I grew, Booker said. Thank God he gave me the way the pathway to redemption. We, all of us, black, white, gay, straight, we've got to start extending grace to one another so we can start having honest conversations with one another and leave room for growth, he continued. I agree with that. Later in his dialogue, Booker said people sometimes fear talking about something they don't understand. I've had conversations with white friends of mine this week who just had the safety to come and ask me, I don't understand this blackface thing. Can you explain it to me? Imagine in this climate now saying that publicly. If you want to have a more courageous empathy, put yourself in a white person's position who might have questions. Just pause right there. Please. I mean, no, no. 
No. He's talking about the questions. So he's he's trying to say that we should have everyday conversations on race with everyday people. We should be able to say, hey, I'm ignorant. Help me. Because this because racism is systematic. People may, might not even know the history of blackface because we don't teach learn, our children anything. Learn from your culture. Well, people should, I mean, people should learn things. People should read books and people should study history. But I don't, I, I think the problem job. now is that nobody reads, nobody knows history. Google and so that actually, shit. Right, exactly. You Google have, that you shit. You have, okay. Okay, okay, you're right. We don't have to. You don't, we don't have the excuse. There's no excuse for Google this bullshit. It. I'm sorry. There's no excuse for this bullshit. Go- Google And it. please do not tie black and, and the LGBT thing. I tying mean, it all together. Don't I tie it all together. I see, yeah, I see. Yeah. Because there's a difference between the LGBT uh, movement and then the black experience sure. which the black experience we're about to celebrate 400 years 1619 of the first Africans here supposedly the um, first African immigrants that came here the, not by Im- their own choice Im- immigrants the yeah. immigrants the immigrants that were not yeah the, and, and I, it, the, indigent servants it, well the state the I think that the racist people would say well they got a free trip over lucky yeah. them oh my gosh In they got a free trip <laughs> And we're still and we're still paying for that trip, mm. um, but no. You the, don't take the, people away from their home and bring them somewhere else and sell them as property. That's that's some old school and, shit. And I don't and you I don't. And it's not my job to teach you about it either it's because it's part of your history. Right, 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 right. And Google that shit. Google, I'm sorry. That's I mean, true. I I I also respect your position that the information's out there, and just because we're okay ignorant to, doesn't yeah. mean it's okay to ask questions. But don't. D- Come on, guys. Let's coddle. You know, let's coddle those people. They don't understand. Yeah, you do. They're the ones that started the Jim Crow. They're the ones that started slavery. And the ones that started the minstrel show and the blackface. They understand. Look that shit up. Yeah. Well, the only only good thing about minstrel shows is that... There's no good thing. Well, the only... Um, uh, it's American art form the musical theater came out of minstrel shows so the, I, I can say that and musical theater is, is an art form that's specific to the United States and you know who that art and that it was, was a and mockery it, 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 well the no. minstrel shows were a mockery but then because it was like singing and dancing on it stage developed into, it developed into what eventually became showboat yeah. and then all the musical theater post which wasn't an opera and wasn't a minstrel show but it was a new we're the ones American that art ma- form we were the ones that turned it into a musical rather than some kind of mockery yeah it's well it's I mean it's it's old timey racism and it wasn't that long ago it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago that's, that's why I'm just saying like I mean psh- this is this is just laziness like i'm not calling white folks who can't read <laughs> i'm not doing that and i'm not calling white folks that started the economic racial you know this this is some of the this is the racist white folks doing i'm sorry it's i mean it's, i want to see if they have any pictures of them actually in the in the blackface from the back in the day oh, oh that's there right it is. that's <gasps> right that's the northern one so this is the one from 1984 you guys have seen oh it already my so this God. is uh ralph northam who is the governor uh in virginia who's now in tr- but but here's the thing about it he didn't know if he was in the blackface or in oh, the clan Oh, and then and then he also oh dressed God. up as blackface because he was trying to uh, moonwalk like uh, Michael Jackson. And then here's another thing. So then um, uh, he was asked. Uh, they did a. This is about a week ago. 
he did an interview uh denouncing and then he's like it wasn't me it wasn't me in the picture but i'm like it's your fucking page i'm deeply sorry he says um and this is from 1984 this is 1984 wow i was alive and it's it's his page. page wow Wow. Which means that he chose the pictures for his own page. <laughs> These pictures. But you this know. This one of me, because the clan and, and blackface is funny. Or but, something. But not, let me. Not. Do you know the, the reason why this story came out? No, no, no. Oh, right. So this where it ties it to women's rights. Oh. How, how, funny how things just get intertwined together. So basically, Ralph Northam, he used to be a doctor. He is pro-choice. He is for the 20-week, what is it, the 20-week? Um, yeah, late-term abortion. Late-term abortion. God damn it. <laughs> get off it all right sorry there phone call um so basically ralph northam is a doctor he is for uh, the late-term abortion health reasons um one of his old classmates who he went to medical school with is and you know anti-abortion basically he didn't like what northam said about the 20 week um and he put this story out there he's obviously oh. the person obviously the person that he went to school with is a re- hardcore conservative republican who wow. is um not pro-choice wow so he didn't like that so he's like you know what i'm gonna bust him out because two men definitely get to make decisions about my uterus yeah that it's so you know but here we go this is <laughs> women aren't people so the fact of the matter yeah, I'm gonna bust him out on this because I don't like the fact of the 20 week abortion. Yeah, that's the only reason why we knew about this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which I'm I'm glad that we know, but it's so disgusting the fact of like how dirty like this guy whoever came out with the photo the who busted him out. Obviously, he he has some racial undertones. I mean, he sounds like a fuck it, fuck it. He's a racist, um, and also anti-choice. Uh. So whoever busts him out has some really fucked up issues. But Rod Northam, I think he should resign. But the problem is now they're going after the black lieutenant governor about some some sexual accusations that are just accusations and people like kamala harris and uh cory booker are trying to get the lieutenant governor out who is black rather than alice northam who is the one that has proof of the blackface that's weird that we have that isn't it whoa oh look nigger makeup this is i put in old-timey racism and this is from the Uh. 20s and it Wow, that looked like a that looked like a Florida sweater. N word, <laughs> just right there, uh, just right there. Makeup without blacking, complete with hat, slipped on and off in a minute. No burnt cork or muss. The outfit emerges. The the outfit something a black stop. I can't even write. It's just, I can't see because it's old timey and it's a mask attached to the head and it's a thing. It's 75 cents. Whoa. Whoa. And that was in the 20s. Not that long ago. It wasn't ago. that long ago. And this is interesting. The two platforms the Democratic platform is for the white man, the Republican platform is for the Negro. That's what this, from the old timey. And they have a terrible picture with the exaggerated. Inhuman. Inhumane. Right. Yeah. Like, not not human 
that's what they are trying to we're animals we're chattel it's uh property it's it's unfortunate that this is our history but we we do have to we do have to know it and understand it in order to i i'm just constantly wowed by by the by our history this is why black people are mad and we'll always be mad because we're still suffering from the trauma and the experience of of what this country has done to us so we go out and celebrate and buy gucci yeah (laughs) which is not that's not how you do it black folks i'm sorry (laughs) i'm just wow uh encounter nude sunbathers eating waffles that's 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 not old timey racism Nigger makeup. Ain't so uh, let's see who else is running for president here. Former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Julian Castro, 44, formally announced his candidacy in English and Spanish on January 12th at a rally in San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. where he once served as mayor. He got some buzz as a possible VP for Hillary Clinton, but some say he didn't have the foreign policy experience necessary for the role. Whether who fucking cares our president that we have right now had no experience whatsoever and no one gave a fuck whether this is his year or not remains to be seen but some said he could be the country's first latino president i can see it more like a vice president i don't have any ill will toward him i just know he's a corporate democrat Mm. pete but but a geek a 37 year old military veteran he's gay and mayor of south band indiana announced on January 23rd that he had formed an exploratory committee to run for president. He would be the first openly gay commander-in-chief, but the country has never elected a mayor to presidency. Yeah, I think he should work himself out first. Maryland Congressman John Delaney, 55, pledged during the early days of his campaign that in his first 100 days in office, he would focus only on policies that had the support of both parties to try to bring the country together. But voters may not be interested in another wealthy white male candidate. She, um, Amy Kobachar, she just announced, uh, she's actually, she bid she, over the weekend. Oh, good for her. Has been pegged by some observers as more moderate, even more relatable than other Democrats in contention. It's the kind of political triangulation you'd find in decades of political playbooks. Be liberal enough to win a Democratic primary, but not so far off the grid that you can't get independents and moderate Republicans on your side to win November. Kobachar, 58, who's made a test the water's visit to early voting Iowa she well she did it this weekend she's got a blend of midwesters with western politesse and diplomacy she's not a household name but she was able to turn a deep red counties into blue during her election so what I found out about her is she's abusive to her staff oh they did they just did a whole daily show about her yesterday that I watched um where some of her staff members have quit and don't want to join the campaign because of she would throw things and wow. curse and yell at her staff. It sounds which, like our president that's, now. That's what I, I was familiar. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. I was thinking like, wow, abusive to her staff, throwing things, sounds very familiar. She could give Donald Trump a run for his money. She like, just imagine the primary and she throwing like papers at his face. That would be divine. I just can't imagine that there are people in our country that are satisfied with what's happening right now. That the the, the presidency and the the state the state of our union, the state of what's happening here in the United States that, that people that there are people going, yeah, things are really good right now. <laughs> like really? No. But there but that but then why would we be afraid that he 
a lot of people say that he'll just get voted in for another term and i'm like well why who who is happy with what's happening right now like who is being served well i know for sure a lot of his supporters are going to start turning on them because what i've been reading is also people's tax return after that um he cut the taxes for the wealthy uh last year them them uh trump supporters they are not happy about their tax returns a lot of them are starting to owe um and a lot of them are starting to turn on him but you you can't trust a cult following all the time because a cult following will end up always go back to their follower so this is this is interesting this is from a new york art uh uh new york times for uh this is just about Donald Trump. Uh, White House blah, 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 weren't nearly as formidable as p- political professionals once assumed. More important, Mr. Trump at the moment seems eminently beatable with an approval rating hovering just south of 40%. No other president in the era of, the era of approval polling going back to the 1930s has been this unpopular at this point in his presidency. That's great. He's super unpopular. He's never hit 50%. Yeah. Uh, Democrat, there's blah, 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 blah. this is just all the, the likely candidates. Will Will Bernie Will Bernie run again? I I, th- I hope so. I mean, I hope so. But he would. I he here's the thing. Um, I here I think Joe Biden's going to jump in the race. Yeah, it goes into that. A recent poll put Bernie Sanders' approval rating at 75 percent, which makes him the most popular politician in America. He's the standard bearer for the populist left, whose Medicare for all bill while still a liberal pipe dream, now seems much of a litmus test for ambitious natural, national Democrats on abortion rights. He will also be 79 years old on Election Day 2020. Joe Biden, son of a Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, appeals to the same working-class white voters who flocked to Mr. Trump in 2016. Some progressives, no doubt, look upon him fondly from his days as Barack Obama's vice president. But Mr. Biden's three-decades-long centrist Senate, Senate record from his handling of Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearing in 1991 mm-hmm. to his vote for the 2005 bankruptcy bill mm-hmm. might make him a tough sell to today's Democratic Party voters, not to mention that he still has those centrist tendencies. Mm-hmm. He recently came out against a universal basic income, and he'll turn 78 in November 2020. So... I don't think we have any... Honestly... Because um, Bernie hasn't jumped in yet, I don't think we have any strong contenders to beat Trump and his cult. I know you, it's pretty scary. You, you have to Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth, well, the thing is, she's too far left. I like her because she's realistic. I I want I want to honestly be like, yeah, I think she has a chance, but I don't think she does because she's a commie pink or liberal. That yeah. <laughs> uh, this I'm going to say progressive. Sure. I'm I'm a comic pink I'm a Marxist. Uh, former vice president uh this is uh, this is about universal income. I'm very interested in it. Former Bi- Vice President Joe Biden took a swipe Monday at an increasingly trendy but controversial idea that calls for governments to provide citizens with a basic level of income. The concept called universal basic income has a long history, but is resurfacing lately as technology threatens to outmode workers in an ever-diversifying range of jobs. The theory is that automation will result in so many lost jobs that the only plausible answer is some kind of guaranteed government check with no strings attached. 
Biden wrote in a blog post, I believe there's a better way forward. I believe we can and we must build a future that puts work first. Universal basic income is especially trendy among technologists. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Tesla CEO Elon Musk have both advocated for the idea, with the latter arguing it is necessary because of automation's potential threat to jobs. But Biden views such scheme as an anathema to the spirit of work, although he does not dispute challenges technology poses for workers. While I appreciate concerns from Silicon Valley executives about what their innovations may do to American incomes, I believe they're selling American workers short, he wrote. Biden's blog post served as an announcement for a new initiative. Blah, 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 blah. I think universal. I'm down. I'm, That's a, I'm down with exactly. universal basic income. Because that puts money back into the economy. Yeah, but but again, this is I'm not a fan of Joe Biden because well he's been there for decades, and plus he was part of the uh, 1994 crime bill and other bills that hurt a lot of people in the community. But also he's got a lot of money in Wall Street. He's invested time. Imagine for a moment having one thousand five hundred dollars extra in your bank account at the end of the month, fifteen hundred more than you've actually earned. It's not the bank error. The money is yours. No strings attacked. Attached. You can travel, pay down bills, offer it to a relative in need of a little help. You can leave it right where it is for a later day. Now imagine that $1,500 arrived every month. Would you put it towards a new car? Take a nicer than usual vacation? Would you go back to school or start a business? Would you work fewer hours? Spend more time with family? Would you cease working altogether? Sam Altman doesn't know what you'd do, but he'd like to find out. The 31-year-old CEO of Silicon Valley startup Y Combinator believes that if an economic trend trends continue in their current trajectory, that hypothetical deposit in your account may prove a critical part of your future. And he's currently paying about 50 households in Oakland up to 1500 a month to see what the future might look like. I love that's, that's I would dope. change my whole life. If if I had $1500 a month, I wouldn't need to be on food stamps. In fact, I mean, I'd still want to have... Do I still get to keep my Medi-Cal? Because otherwise, it'd just go right to health insurance. But if you gave me $1,500 a month, then I you could afford need, health insurance. Yeah, you would, and like you said, you wouldn't need that uh, that uh, the food stamps or what have it. you. I wouldn't it's, need it. I wouldn't need food stamps. I wouldn't need uh, my Medi-Cal. I'd be fine if uh, $1,500. That, that's more than double what I make right now, and I work like 80 hours a week. I mean, if I calculated how many hours I actually work like here at the station and whatever. $1,500 would change my fucking life. That that means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, it would change. And to I mean, some people it's like, oh, it's like spending Costco or whatever. Some people that just doesn't mean anything and so then they don't get it. But like, I that would change my life. It, it's, uh, so to understand why, com- Complete the thought experiment above with some darker shadings. Imagine that a robot has stolen your job and pushed you into a lower wage occupation, if not out of the workforce altogether. Imagine that companies choosing between keeping costly human workers or replacing them with less expensive software and machines have made the most profitable decision. Imagine that you feel a little desperate. Yeah, dude, I got two master's degrees and I'm poor as fuck. Give me $1,500 a month and let me do my art. Like, I'm, that, it's just not like it. I'm not working. See, that's what I don't like about Joe Biden when he's saying. He's saying that if you give people $1,500 a month, they're going to sit on their ass and watch Netflix all day. That's really? not necessarily true. That is true. not true. Well, I'm just, I don't know if he's going to say they're going to watch Netflix. But that's what but kind of like, what, yeah, that's kind of what you're saying. It's the idea of like, welfare mom. It's the idea of the, the person that's just taking advantage of everyone. But you know what? You got to work hard. You can, you work hard. Work hard, yeah. I think I think that people that are on welfare to be able to spend time with their families that should be a, that should be honored as a job. I'm sorry that moms don't make any money and now you call it they're a welfare mom and they're taking from everyone. No, they're not. They're raising their children. That's like 
And plus, that ain't enough money to survive. Well, I mean, people I survive. on... I survive on about 1500 a month. But. I mean, but if you had a child... Oh, if I had a baby, no, I couldn't yeah, do it. Yeah, that's no what way. I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I couldn't yeah, afford it. Like that, no. For a growing number of business leaders and economists, this future is no longer seems hypothetical. A University of Oxford study from 2013 estimated that 47% of U.S. jobs may be at risk within the next two decades because of advances in artificial intelligence and automation. Last year, the White House Council of Economic Advisors estimated that workers making below 20 an hour would have an 83% chance of losing their jobs to robots in the span. Those odds dropped as workers' education and incomes levels grew. Uh... But as software gets smarter, that too is subject to change. Companies will eliminate even jobs that were long considered immune from technological displacement. And that's where Altman's 1500 comes in. One potential means that blunting the impact of automation involves providing each person, working or not, with a minimum payment for life, regardless of income or other mitigating factors. Universal Basic Income, UBI, would insulate displaced workers from poverty and quell the potential for unrest during a profound and painful economic transition. Theoretically, it might spur innovation and encourage people to take entrepreneurial risks. It would almost certainly alter the definition of work by attaching compensation to whatever people chose to do with their time including absolutely nothing. Floated by economists and political theories for decades, the notion of basic income is enjoying some new prominence today. That's particularly true in Silicon Valley, where several of the entrepreneurs developing the very technology that fuel fears of a dystopian future, and often profiting handsomely from them, have endorsed UBI as a potential fix. Governments in developed and emerging nations alike have warmed to the concept, launching a bushel of pilot projects and inherently lefty ideas that has drawn growing support from the libertarians and conservatives, particularly those who view traditional welfare mechanisms as bloated, wasteful, and inefficient. Of course, the widening support by no means makes UBI politically palatable. Critics have a buffet of objections to choose from. It undermines productivity. It rewards laziness. It's socialism by another name. Oh my God. There's no doubt that it would be unprecedentedly, astronomically expensive. The concept also violates a core tenet of capitalism by assuming that this technological revolution unlike others before it won't create better jobs tomorrow to replace the ones it erases today altman the precocious investor and new company coach whose firm helped launch stars like airbnb zenefits and dropbox is using real world experimentation to learn whether ubi can stand up to such critiques y combinator's research arm has launched a pilot program in which up to 100 recipient households will get twelve thousand to eighteen thousand dollars this year in exchange for nothing they're asked to submit occasional surveys but there's no penalties for failing to do so the idea is to give people money without preconditions and observe what they choose to do. Please give me the money. Uh, $10,000 would change my fucking life. $10,000 would save the station. $10,000 would mean that every fucking day I wouldn't have to beg comedians for money and I wouldn't have to like freak out and try to get people to come. $10,000 would was change. $10,000 would change Mutiny Radio. If you're a rich person and you have $10,000, please, 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 please give me $10,000. I work really, really hard and I don't get paid for it. And I, could, I still haven't paid myself for January. Ha ha ha. And it's February and I... I still don't have the money to pay myself. And it's not for a lack of working. I tell you, it is. I am working really hard. How many days are you here at the station? Almost like every day. I mean, what's your other jobs? Yeah, I know. I have, I know I have a bunch of other things that I do for money. Plural jobs. Right. And there's, and it all comes here. It all siphons here to keep the doors open. And because I'm a fucking artist and an idiot, please. 12,000 to 18,000. That would change. That saves people's my lives. Whole <laughs> life. Well, it would change my whole life because 
I am literally a starving artist. You could give me $1,500 a month and I'm not going to sit and watch Netflix. I'm going to have money to be able to make a Netflix special. Like it would give me, that would, that would mean that I wouldn't have to work so hard here to keep the doors open and I could actually, I don't know, work on my craft of stand-up comedy. I mean, it would make such a difference to me to have... I mean, well, I mean that also that $1,500 is an investment to something. It's not an investment to buying like clothes and shit like I that. I don't buy clothes. Give me, give me but that's what I'm clothes. saying. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're thinking like all this money. Oh, they're just going to go out to fancy dinners and spend it on Gucci. And no. no way. Well, I would, you know, if I had an extra $1,500, I would, I would probably. There's nothing wrong with treating never, yourself. I never eat out. So yeah, I there's nothing. But the thing is, it's just like everyone. I would, it would change my life. Mm. Uh, they're asked some little stories about uh, if the pilot is successful, Y Combinator will large, m- launch a much larger study, likely a five-year experiment involving thousands of households in multiple states. Within a few years, Altman hopes his team will have something that has thus far proved elusive, proof whether UBI can have long-term positive impact. I'm going to fucking write this guy an email after the show. Yeah, I'm going to write him an email. Too, this guy, right? yeah, yeah, it's Y Combinator. I'm going to look it up and I'm going to be like, please support Mutiny Radio. Please, please give a small, a, a woman-owned small business. Let it survive because it, it is tenuous. Make it sound sexy. And if, if you, if you want to also come to the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, it helps keep the doors open. But you That's know, another it's, thing it's, that you, that money could go to. Oh as my well. god! I, then I could actually pay for promotion so that people would know that it's happening. It's not for me to tell policymakers what to do, but I don't know what the best policy is. Altman says, but in a time of unprecedented disruption, it's time to find out. After all, he adds, people can smell automation on the horizon. Yeah, you know what? Here's an idea for automation. This is a crazy thing. I was like, you know what? You'll always have a bartender. Maybe we won't. You know about the new bar on Valencia? Uh, the robot bar? The robot bar. Yeah, that shit ain't gonna last. You don't think so? No. It seems kind of dumb. It is. They had one in uh, Japan, uh, and then uh, they also had like a robot hotel, and it got closed because people couldn't hate the robots. It seemed very attractive at first, but no. I, I put in Valencia robot bar. Robots are making $6 burgers in San Francisco. I was just going to say, there's no way that uh, that automation will take over my job making burgers. But they're saying robots are making $6 burgers in San Francisco. San Francisco is ground zero for tech companies from social media to bioengineering. It's also a city obsessed with food and often the first destination for international chains like Michelin starred Tutsal Ramen to break into the U.S. market. In uh. its teaming with early adopters and forward thinkers like the team behind Creator, both a restaurant and a culinary robotics company that will offer the world's first robot-made burgers when it opens in Soma on June 27th. Oh my God! I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not game. I just no. I like, I like people hands-on. The machine isn't a parody of a human with a robotic arms and fingers flipping burgers and assembling buns on a conveyor belt. It's an all-inclusive burger-making device that accomplishes every part of the burger's preparation, from slicing and toasting the brioche buns to grinding the meat and searing the burger to order in five minutes. I was just going to say that they can't take away my job, but they can. They can. I want to know what this, this robot bar is. Oh, it's, it's called Curio, San Francisco Bar and Restaurant Curio. I can't, God. I can't believe this. But we got homeless people here, right? Look at these fucking white. Host your own these. private event with us. Fucking. Oh, it's it's sister property is the chapel. Uh, God. 
I want to see. So stupid. <laughs> no, this is a real bar. Okay. See, I'm. I was hoping that I want to see this fucking robot bar. Um, Maybe that was it. They were talking about the robot hamburger place. But that's so mad. It's not open yet. This is actually on Valencia. This used to be OSHA. OSHA on Valencia oh. closed, and now it's this crazy robot bar. I'm still uh, mad about uh, elbow room being closed. Oh yeah, all of it. I'm. So it bars in San Francisco. It's I, I'm not finding it. Um, but boy, do I want to. It's is this a New York Times article about it? That's how. That's how like. Valencia Street, a magnet for the cool and offbeat in San Francisco. It's not cool over Hipster there. hunting ground, curiosity shops, ritual coffee, amnesia. Yeah, that's that's nice. I can't believe they put it, the New York Times pushed amnesia. Wow. There's oh, my God. They, they plugged benders. What did I just see? But it's, we're not on Valencia Street. That doesn't make sense. No, I didn't. I didn't see what I thought I saw. Damn it. Anyways. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what it is. This robot bar, but it's on Valencia, and uh, I think it's stupid and awful. Uh, oh, here it is. How dumb is that? Nope, that's Ritual Coffee. That's four barrel. <laughs> that's four barrel. I was, um, anyways, it exists. It's on that, and I think that it's so dumb. It, it takes away the personality of you and the bartender. Yeah, it changes the whole of going to a bar. Idea of. Uh, but yeah, why would you? Because, because you know, everyone is usually on their phones at a bar anyway now. So now you're not even having any kind of uh, conversation with any human beings. There's Cafe X Robot Coffee Shop in San Francisco, and there's a little robot making coffee. Yeah. I mean, I guess if this is the future, I, I mean, Them I'm robots going to turn on you. I, I don't want. I don't like this future that this dystopian future that's emerging i don't like instagram i don't understand it i don't understand why everybody has to be on their phone all the time i don't understand we all why we all said here here's this device and everyone can be in, on, on it all the time and we never have to interact with one another ever again or have any social skills whatsoever because we've just totally devalued that this is i think it's a blessing and a curse but i think people are using it way too much to where yes we are dependent on our phones way too much but now we're really too overly dependent on technology to where the point it's like now you're going to start taking jobs away or you're trusting a robot <laughs> over right. actually but a I, human I would, living thing i would i might trust a robot burger over a human human burger because because of the, washing their hands right and and robots don't pick their nose so that's cool um, Rob, robots malfunction. I I have I just have a problem with how we're everybody's okay with not paying attention to other people. Uh, everyone's okay with being disengaged from the world that we're a part of. It's the same thing. Uh, there was the meeting on Monday, and they're like, "Are you gonna do Twitch of all the comedy shows?" No. People can fucking get their asses down to the goddamn station and sit and watch a live fucking comedy show. You don't need to watch it on TV. You don't need to watch it from your phone. You can come here and you can experience it live. Theater is meant to be experienced live. In you, theater. It, you don't, there's a whole thing about going out and experiencing art or, I mean, I guess we're calling comedy art in this case. There's, being present in the moment here is a thing. Like, that's real. That has value. And I feel like we're devaluing that as a people. And everything's on Instagram. And I'm doing it live. And look, this is my life on Instagram. Watch me. And 
all of that stuff and Twitch and just go that's be in person that's something I learned in school one of the things uh, that I remember the most was being present yeah being in the moment be pre- like you know you can't are you gonna do Twitch and uh, during the shows? Why sit your ass in a chair? Well, I was. What's like, wrong with being? What's wrong with being around amongst other human beings? Yeah. And that's what the problem is. I. That's one of the reasons why I don't like the city. But it's going around everywhere. So I'm not just gonna talk about San Francisco being mm. fucking robotic and shit. But I mean, yeah, I. Uh, I am starting to really not like my generation. <laughs> Cell phones can damage romantic relationships. Duh. Hey, yeah. tomorrow is Valentine's Day. We oh, didn't I even forgot. mention that. Oh, yeah. Do we care? I totally forgot. I really did. I'm probably not going to get anything I, I ever I, do. Well, my boyfriend, he already bought me a bunch of stuff. This weekend, we went to a, a we saw a bunch of bands, and he bought a bunch of merch, and I was like, okay, that's all my Valentine presents. Like, he bought me all kinds of things. I, like, Aww. it's very cute. He bought me a cool T-shirt and, and uh, anyway, some cool stuff. And uh, but I was like, don't, don't. If you're gonna buy anything, just buy chocolate. It's that easy. Just go to C's Candy. And you're, it, it you're really a simple kind of gal. Well, it is interpersonal if he actually chooses the chocolates and gets the ones I like. That means like, oh my God, you pay attention. Oh wow. And I think he'll know what to get. I don't think he'll do it though. Uh, A provocative new study suggests our trusted partner and confidant, the cell phone, can harm interpersonal relationships and lead to higher levels of depression. That sounds about right. I I don't don't have a smartphone, so I'm clearly not depressed. Baylor University researchers uh, James A. Roberts, Ph.D., and Meredith David, Ph.D., conducted two separate surveys, accounting for a total of 453 adults in the U.S. with the intention of learning the relational effects of fubbing or partner phone snubbing what (laughs) fubbing is described in the study as the extent to which people use or are distracted by their cell phones while in the company of their relationship partners what we discovered was that when someone perceived that their partner fubbed them this created conflict and led to lower levels of reported relationship satisfaction These lower levels of relationship satisfaction in turn lead to lower levels of life satisfaction and ultimately higher levels of depression. (laughs) The first survey of 308 adults helped Roberts and David develop a partner fubbing scale, a nine-item scale of common smartphone behaviors that respondents identified as snubbing behaviors. The resulting scale includes statements such as, My partner places his or her cell phone where they can see it when we are together. My partner keeps his or her cell phone in their hand when he or she is with me. My partner glances at his or her cell phone when I'm talking to me. There is a lull in our conversation. My partner will check his or her cell phone. Yeah, that's the worst. If you're you're out to dinner with somebody or you're engaged, if you're talking at a bar and you're talking and then they look at their phone, I mean, I'll just be like, fuck you. I'm, I'm that disinteresting. Yeah, I need to get back to like put your fucking phone away i don't like to do that when people are talking because it's rude i usually would probably excuse myself and be like so i'm sorry i just got this text right that's what i'm I not do. but i'm not i'm not gonna go on my instagram and just scroll, scroll away yeah yeah no, no, no. while you're talking because it's it's rude number one number it two that, it means that uh, that thing over there that person that instagram is more important part, than, the, than person, the person sitting in which front is exactly of you. what we're yeah. talking about interpersonal relationship skills on the phone fucking it all up yeah i mean the thing is it's just like okay 
like we're having this conversation right now and people out there are listening to us i could be on my phone right now being like yeah yeah uh-huh but um but that's rude it is rude. and it's 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 sh- it's showing like you know like you just said you're not that important to me but right. yeah. these pretty pictures right are more about important. nothing about people who i don't know are more important yeah and that and, and try yeah. dating that way Oof. Oh, oh. because you could be looking at if you were dating and you, you could be looking at other okay cupid profiles who knows what the fuck you're looking at yeah well, i get in a fight i'd be like oh, what is, what you're here we are are we not that's uh, i'm sure mm. that this is this article is going to mention about relationships and people like on date on uh, on dating apps and what have you while they're in a relationship because it's a great way to hide absolutely the development of the scale is significant the study states because it demonstrates that fubbing <laughs> is conceptually and empirically different from attitude towards cell phones partners cell phone involvement cell phone conflict and cell phone addiction the second survey of 145 adults measured fubbing among romantic couples. This was done in part by asking those surveyed to respond to the nine-item scale they developed in the first survey. Other areas of measurement in the second survey included cell phone conflict, relationship satisfaction, life satisfaction, depression, and interpersonal attachment style, also known as anxious attachment, describes people who are less secure in their relationship. Results of the survey showed that 46.3% 46.3% of the respondents reported being fubbed by their partner. 22.6% said this fubbing caused conflict in their relationship. And 36.6% reported feeling depressed at least some of the time. <laughs> Overall, only 32% of respondents stated they were very satisfied with their relationship, one study shows. In everyday interactions with significant others, people often assume that momentary distractions by their cell phones are not a big deal, David said. However, our findings suggest that the more often a couple's time spent together is interrupted by one individual attending to his or her cell phone, the less likely it is that other individual is satisfied in the overall relationship. Specifically, momentary distractions by one cell phone during the time spent with a significant other likely lowers the level of the significant other's satisfaction with the relationship and that could lead to enhanced feelings of depression and lower well-being of that individual thus when spending time with one significant other we encourage individuals to be cognizant of the interruptions caused by their cell phones as Mm -hmm. this may well be harmful to their relationship have some manners fuckbags mm-hmm. i think that's what this is about that's what it's basically it's like your parent like basically scolding at you like have some goddamn manners have some manners when you think uh, given the ever increasing use of smartphones to communicate between romantic partners the study helps to understand how the use of smartphones can impact not only satisfaction with romantic relationships but also personal well-being robert said when you think about the results they're astounding something as common as a cell phone can undermine the bedrock of our happiness, our relationships with our romantic partners. Duh. I love it. Someone finally seconds what I believe. It's so sad (laughs) that we have to have articles out there like this to put out something so basic and just having social skills. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, do we have to teach that now? Like smartphone? I mean, I don't yeah. want smartphone 101 because I don't ever want a smartphone. Um, but maybe we should be teaching that to kids like smartphone interaction. Like when is it appropriate? When is it right. not appropriate? Here's something that you guys can learn. Uh, this was, I complained about this last week, I believe. The fucking cunt face dick bag on the bus is kid, 17 year old kid. He's talking to his friend on video chat on the bus so we have to hear him and his inane conversation with some other guy who's watching him like 
Not on the bus, man. Also, I find that so rude because it, that that other person knows you're on the bus and they're okay with their voice being projected out to God knows who. It was a fucking crowded bus and I had to listen to him talk about nothing with his fucking friend. Do it later. Well, you know, there's such thing as earphones. Right. But he'd st- we'd still have. It's, I still have to listen to that guy talk. Yeah, but, I mean, but I mean, you would have to talk, listen to people talk on the phone anyway. But it's just like don't talk phone on the bus. You're one of those. Anybody. No. <laughs> I'm usually I don't like to talk to people on the phone anyway. I so yeah. Well, I'll text them. I'll text them and say, hey, I'm on the bus because I don't think that everyone on the bus needs to hear my conversation. They don't need to hear me say don't put your shit out. What street. I'm doing later, where I'm going, what's going on with the show. They don't need to hear me say, oh, I love you, Jonathan. They don't need to hear that. They don't need to hear that. Actually, I. I remember a long time ago when I think I got my first cell phone that I remember my mom or it was my aunt or someone that's like like be careful talking on the phone in public because people don't you don't want to announce things to people in the public around strangers because they're bad people yeah because number one if you're telling where you're gonna be Mm. you don't know if that person's gonna follow you number two you know they don't know if you know if you're going to tell them where you live or if you're talking to someone or excuse me if you're talking to someone you're talking about where you live you don't know if that person's going to show up there who, who's all or just who's all your surroundings great. yeah your yeah, surroundings you're, you're cognizant of your yeah so i mean i get what you're saying because i kind of i totally kind of forgot about that i don't talk on the phone unless i it's you know an emergency, an emergency. on the bus at least i mean it needs to be a fucking emergency I don't be like, hey, I'm on the bus. What are you doing? I don't even like to talk on the Uber, you know, on my because I'm just like, I'll save that shit for when I get home. I'll talk yeah. to you when I get home. Yeah. Or I'll just text you. Thank God for texting. I know. That, that's See? magic. That's, I like that's, texting. That's, texting is good. great. I was really happy when that came out. You can't you can't have people say like, you don't call me anymore. It's like passing notes in class. Yeah. It's just like, but I text you. Yeah. I'm fine with texting. Yeah. I don't understand sexting though. but I don't understand that either. I don't. Yeah. Mm, that's a weird one I don't get I don't understand it I but, don't get it yeah there should be it, it's sad but there is going to have to be a course uh, starting like at a very young age of like when it's appropriate to have your smartphone out this is yeah 2012 the smartphone as a conflicting third party in interpersonal relationships oh, wow, this is by Elizabeth Tatardian uh, this is from this is her this is her fucking capstone project C. ST416 conflict and negotiation in partial fulfillment of graduation requirements, University of Portland, Department of Communication Studies. Right on. Uh, here's her abstract. Given technology's constant advancement, cell phones affect interpersonal relationships with unanticipated consequences. This qualitative analysis investigates the way smartphones impact conflict in interpersonal relationships. Typically, research has investigated conflict in which mediated communication is a vehicle of conflict this study looks at smartphones as a reason for conflict more specifically we explore how smartphones act as a conflicting third party within interpersonal relationships an interview methodology provided data that were analyzed in this study eight thematic categories emerged from the data wherein smartphones participants described how smartphones use generated conflict the eight categories identified were barrier to meaningful communication jealousy of smartphone interaction technology induced communication problems disrespect face-to-face preferred for conflict acceptance of smartphone interruptions accommodation and avoidance unmet expectations (laughs) sounds about right. right but this is 2012 yeah so this is like old school that's that's pretty cool 
Uh, let's see what she goes. Research on computer-mediated communication and conflict has evolved over the last 25 years. In the last 10 years, a newer variant of computers has entered everyday life, the smartphone. Unlike original cell phones, smartphones accomplish many of the same tasks as computers. Is there tiny computers in your pocket. As smartphones <laughs> seep into public and private contexts, additional opportunities for conflict emerge. The involvement of smartphones in interpersonal conflict can be seen when a mother tells her child to put their phone away during dinner, or when spouses become angry because their partner is on the phone instead of talking to them. That happens to me all the time. I get, I'm like, so what's so important over there? <laughs> um, as smartphones become more integrated into daily social life, conflict may arise as unintended consequence of the way the new technology is used. Unintended consequences are not unusual with new technology. This research explores the question, how do smartphones create or impact interpersonal communication? And more specifically, how do smartphones act as a conflicting third party in interpersonal relationships? Two areas in two area in cell phone use concern the user's lack of awareness of surroundings when using a cell phone uh -oh, and yeah. the user's treatment of interpersonal relationships when on a cell phone the first concern relates to safety and social awareness the second concern relates to how we structure our interactions with our two parties simultaneously i mean yeah. this is the kind of stuff that i think is important to look at that our kids aren't Aren't inter, their, our interpersonal relationships are breaking down because people are so dependent upon their phone. And when when someone's mad at someone else, the easiest thing to do is just scroll through your phone. Like you just yeah, avoid. You avoid. can avoid everything by or, sinking into your phone. I hate it. I hate it. Why did we let this happen? Why is everybody on? The, why does everybody like it so much? Well, why does everybody like Instagram so much? I don't understand. I don't like it. Here's something that you've mentioned too, where you know if a, a kid's crying and pouting. You know, the parent just throwing them the iPad. Give them the cell phone, yeah. yeah. Or they, they're screaming about wanting the cell phone. That was another thing I saw on the bus the other day. A, a mother is not paying attention to her child, and the child is, like, screaming and reaching for the cell phone that she's playing a game on. It's like, interact with your child. Like, are they not interesting enough? Like, that would be... That would teach me as a child growing up that I'm not interesting enough for my parents, that they're more interested in Candy Crush, that they're more interested in something that or has social nothing... Social media. So, yeah... But not. But what does that teach a child? That they're not important. That the only thing important is on the phone, or being on this the phone thing. is more important, or being somehow on Instagram makes you important, or somehow being inside the computer is more important than relating to one another in an interpersonal way. Nothing makes me crazier than when I am walking down the street and someone walks out of a store on their cell phone and is looking at their cell <laughs> okay. phone. You're gonna run into me. That okay? That annoys me. Okay, that really pisses me off. You could be walking down on Market Street, and here's the thing: I always do to people when they're just looking at their phone I'm like look up because I know you're about to walk right into me right in I'm like look face. up look up look up and they're like oh and I'm like I always do that to I people like that. Like because that. I'm just like you don't know what's around you you don't know I mean you're about to run in this is why people get hit by cars now yeah, 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 yeah. because you're not paying phone. attention this is why car accidents happen because you're texting and driving right. don't do stupid do not look at your screen when you're being mobile that is right. the most fun you could trip you could break you're like tripping off a curb there's just be it's about be present it's like what you said earlier be present be mindful be in the moment in the moment know is, where yeah. you are know what your surroundings are listen i know i know i'm guilty of doing the same thing especially after i'm done running when i'm not on a like a busy street like market where i'm done running and i'll probably be on my phone and then if i have to cross the street i stop Put my phone down, walk across the street, make sure I'm on the sidewalk. I may look at my phone, but I'm looking up. 
but I'm not again I'm not in a busy intersection like fucking Market Street or Pal yeah. or like yeah. or on Turk mm. where you, people hit you well, upside the head there was a guy um, that Jonathan worked with and they had pads and they were delivering and he was not paying attention he was looking at the pad and someone <laughs> stole it ganked out him. of his head ganked him and ran and ran and he was like oh, oh, oh. like oh, yeah like what the yeah st- shit like that you, you get ganked because you're just, you're just like, like zoop, yeah zoop. yeah i just but but the thing is that mm. is the phone so interesting is it better than the real world is it is everything like we interact with so much media and and as we're on media hey everybody listening in podcast Hi. world like that's isn't that silly that we're part of media but then like what? When is it? But, but when this is not being meaning. What, but this what is, is meaningful but anymore. Having technology work in this way, and like I will give props to certain. You know, when social media is not being abused, it's a great platform to put yourself out there or to like, uh, you know, basically promote. Yeah, promote. That's it's that's brilliant. Speaking of promoting, follow us on Instagram. Did you see the Instagram from today? It was really funny. Oh, I the did. I haven't, one. I haven't been I'll, on Instagram I'll, I'll this week, you. so I'll I will watch. The, um, I'll look at it. It's really funny. The AltaCast one. I, you know, I make a little. Yeah. I, I put it on Facebook too, and I tagged you. I, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I made one for next week too. I almost put it out, but then somebody told me they're like, "You can't. Instagram isn't for like." You don't blast a bunch of things. That's Twitter. And I'm like, I don't know. You can do that on Instagram. Fuck Twitter. I'm not. I don't know. I don't don't like like any of it. I don't like Twitter. I guess Facebook's dying. That's the thing is like, they say Facebook's dying. I don't know how to move away from it or what to move into. It's because they're so scandalous now and they're selling our information out. People are getting kind of, that's another thing. That's the other thing. Buy my information. I don't buy anything. That's why they hate me is that I don't, I don't purchase things. I mean, I do have to purchase some flea medication for my kitten (laughs) and I need to purchase some deworming medication because a worm came out of his butt even though we thought he'd been dewormed. I have to pay for his balls to be chopped off. Those are things I have to pay for. Like, I had to buy kitten food. I bought that. I buy food and cat food. Did you post it? No, I didn't. I didn't. Should I do that? No. Should I be like... People would do stupid I'd, shit like I'll that. Post take every a picture of, so everyone can know what my EBT balance is. Is that good information yeah. for everyone to know? Post the the worms coming out your kitties. Oh, butt. that's a good one, yeah. Yeah. That. Oh, it's so gross. It's oh, so gross. Uh, there was just one, but... I only one. Anyways, I don't buy, I don't buy things, so... I don't know. I don't know how to be part of the future. I'm just part of the past. But but is there still relevance in people? Is there still relevance in human to human connection? I think some so. say yes. Some say only at Burning Man once a year. So that's you know, not, that's something else we should have talked about. Uh, Burning Man, rich people. Yeah, it's just rich kids that want to go to summer camp together. I and be dusty and be. It's hey, I've been there, done that. But a good time, and it makes you sort of believe in the universe. They're trying to uh, some corporate group was trying to sell uh, like a hundred thousand, twenty five thousand dollar tents or a hundred thousand dollar kind of tent villas at Burning Man, it, which completely negates the spirit <laughs> of Burning yeah. Man, which is very funny. But I mean, they they were never a nonprofit. They've always been a for profit venture. Yeah, it's not like. They employ a bunch of people. They're a job creator. It's, it's, I mean, it's exciting stuff. It can be. It's a lot of art in the desert. People work really hard at it. It's, it's the but core the, of a lot of people's feeling of worth, actually, is that that's they, what it's about. it makes them feel like a real person that maybe all year they do this thing, and then but the Burning Man, they get to do this and express themselves in this way or whatever. And for me, that's why I moved to San Francisco, because I'm like, you know, I'm just going to express myself the way I want to 
all the time, 100% every day. Like, I think that that's like that, the spirit of Burning Man is radical self-expression. Well, that's what... Um, and no money. They didn't... Uh, well, the the place that uh, was going to put these tents up, they had an issue with them with their toiletries or their toilets because uh, they end up flooding the place with human uh, hazard yeah uh, well feces and stuff sure so, you, yeah. just, you have to use porta potties it's just the way it is and yeah you suck them out i mean come on exactly but yeah, yeah it, basically it's taken away from like come on 25 g's for like a cabana it, ta- it defeats the purpose of what the idea about it it's about leaving nothing once you're right, there, it's, right? yeah leave yeah. no trace and that's no like trace. lots lots of right. traces but they've been leaving doo-doo yeah <laughs> all of it you got you got to watch your gray water you got to there's all kinds of things that it's hard it's hard to live out there in the desert and do it responsibly because really it's a terribly terribly irresponsible act to build a, a mobile city a city that's like 80,000 people it's the third biggest city in Nevada for one week out of the year fourth biggest city or something and it's it's a transient city it's built I and mean, it's ephemeral it's it's created it's consumed it's gone and I understand the beauty of that and I, I love philosophically that ephemery of art and stuff out there but I think as with everything in time things change what what we ascribe meaning how we ascribe meaning to that can change over time yeah so it isn't what it used to be but nothing ever is no I know things change things change uh, except, except the Altacast, we never change. No, uh, not at least yeah, our views. Not our views. Our, <laughs> our, our crazy, liberal, far wing. Uh, I'm progressive. I told you about you're, that liberal a, shit. I'm a yeah. Call me whatever you want. Call me Kirsten. Call me Kirsten. Call me Kristen. <laughs> Either Kirsten. way. Either way. Let's have a let's have a woman president, shall we? It's a time. I I would love I would love for a president to talk about their period. I would love. I would love for a, a woman to take on the uh, the pro-lifers. I would like I a, would love it. I would like a president to talk about black the black agenda and yeah. and yeah. and reparations. Yeah, I want some goddamn money from I, people. And I feel like this. I feel like this UBI is a, is a good and way I, to start. That is just and and I like healthcare too. Healthcare, Medicare, oh, Medicare, Medicare, like. Please let them eat cake. Give us health care. Uh, <laughs> you guys are all eating cake, you fat pieces of shit that are voting for Trump. You're the ones eating the cake. Stop eating the cake. Eat that cake and enjoy that tax return, y'all. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we'll be back next week on Eltcast. Follow us on Instagram. Instagram. And then get your tickets. Get your tickets for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Get, your get them now, please. Now. Get yeah. them now. Cool. Bye. Bye. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Thank you.
Asiento. Asiento. Take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, punk rock and schlock delivers super fun 
fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't. <laughs> anything about it sorry all on my limited view yes every tuesday from 12 to 2 uh oh you can if you can also find us on apple Podcasts. oh yeah and google play and stitcher itunes oh you already said that tune in radio uh stitcher you said that spotify oh my god there's just so many and overcast um yes you can also find us on social media m as in mary l as in larry p as in peter podcast mov podcast is our handle Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Yeah.